0: Let's plug in, because it's time for the Music Is Win Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the penultimate episode of the Music Is Win Podcast for season two. It's been a short season, but one may say action-packed. I am uh, about to be doing some traveling and that's going to continue For an extended period of time so i am putting the podcast on hold in other words ending the season next week i'm not ending the podcast i'm not saying goodbye i'm just saying see you later so next week will be the final episode and i would love for you to hit the link down in the show notes and go to twitter follow me there and tweet me your questions it's going to be a big q a episode anything you want to know I'm just going to answer as many questions as I can. So tweet me your questions, use hashtag MusicIsWinPodcast and that's it. I will answer your question if you tweet me or at least I'm going to try. So that is my final episode plan and there's going to be a giveaway announcement. I've been teasing a giveaway for a little while and well that time is coming next week. you're going to want to tune in to the season finale of the Music Is Win Podcast for Season 2. Tweet me your questions at Music is Win on Twitter. Use hashtag MusicIsWinPodcast and that way I can find them and sort the questions. And also tune in for the chance to win something truly epic. I'm, I'm not going to waste your time. Come on. You know I only do good giveaways, right? So that's all the news I have for you. I have some very, very exciting things coming up which is why I'm traveling so much. I will tell you that in due time. But for now, let's get to this week's episode of the Music is Wind podcast, where we will be exploring together the Gibson USA factory. I'm gonna tell you why I was at the Gibson factory. They invited me. Uh, This is a tour of the factory from Master Luthier, Jim DeCola, that's his last name, yes, Jim DeCola. He is extremely knowledgeable, and we're gonna go through the factory and basically go from a block of wood to a finished guitar and you'll get to see the process you get to see the entire facility in case you don't remember I had the opportunity to shred inside this factory uh, so check out that video it's called shredding inside the Gibson factory and well that's a pretty good explanation of what to expect on this episode I would consider viewing this episode if you are a podcast listener on iTunes this is more of a visual episode uh, as you'll get to see the different areas of the factory and what happens there, and there's some just very cinematic shots that I tried to achieve. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. Now, without further ado, let's hang out with Jim and take a tour of the Gibson USA factory in Nashville, Tennessee.
1: Uh, more appropriate to have a specialized uh, facility for acoustics because they're. Kind of... Are we going out? Private Gibson USA right now, sir. Yes, you are. So welcome to Gibson USA. This was the first facility that Gibson opened up in Nashville in 1975. They opened up this facility in 75 with the specific intention of making only Les Paul guitars. As time went on, they added more models to the manufacturing here. Here at USA we make the high volume solid body electrics. Right now we're going to see neck prep and then buffing. In neck prep, what we do, after guitars enter neck prep from finishing, we remove the masking tape off of the fingerboard and there's a certain residual amount of lacquer that we have to clean off of the fingerboard. So we use scraper blades and then fine sandpaper and steel wool to clean up the fingerboard surface. After that, the high gloss guitars go into buffing and if you see the finish, there's still a certain amount of uh, grain shrinkage showing and maybe a little bit of orange peel so that has to be buffed out. So the guitars are then sanded down with fine grit sandpaper to level that finish out and it kind of looks like frosted glass and then they go through successive uh, buffing operations to bring the shine back. We're here in buffing. You see he's buffing. We have three wheels that we use of various grits You can see, if you look at the body, how it's frosted looking, that's a body that's been sanded. So that will have to be buffed to bring the sheen back. Each department's work has to be inspected and improved by a QC operator before it can proceed to the next department. Body line and binding operation is what we're gonna see first. So right now, he's unwrapping a guitar that has already been bound. This is a body that's already been bound and then unwrapped. So this plastic trim is glued into a channel around the perimeter. And the the glue that we use has to dry for a minimum of eight hours before we can unwrap it. That allows the solvents of the glue to evaporate and for it to fully cure. And if you look, those are guitars that have been wrapped. They use rope to hold that binding on. And that's a process that's kind of unique to Gibson. We've done this uh, virtually as long as we've been binding guitars. Many companies now use tape or rubber bands, but it's not as effective as using the rope method. If you look at every guitar, you'll notice that the wrap is in the same order. So it takes a minimum of two months to train one of these craftsmen how to properly bind a guitar. It's a lot of time to teach that task, but the payoff is their work uh, is very, very accurate and we actually have the lowest reject rate in this department, in the whole factory, which in other factories, this operation would generally be the highest reject rate. So skilled people pay off. At this point, necks are ready to be joined to the body. So the bodies are staged on that side, the necks are staged here, We'll take a neck and scan it. That'll give us a serial number and print a tag. And then they serialize the serial number on the back of the headstock, and then stamp Made in USA. Here we're neck fitting a neck into the body. Even though we have NC machinery that holds very precise tolerances, we intentionally make the uh, mortise of the neck joint too tight for the body. That way, if the wood would expand or contract, we can fit it right at the very end. So that way we ensure the proper neck joint. So they actually have to do it old world style. They're using chisels and and fitting that neck to the body joint. Once it's fit, they uh, use their gauges to check the pitch and the alignment. You can't have it too tight. If you have it too snug before you put the glue in, sometimes the glue will cause it to swell up and then it won't fit. So you have to give yourself enough room. You have to know how much that glue is gonna cause the wood to expand. Once he has the neck fit to the body, then he'll apply the glue and he'll clamp it down with one clamp. We use one clamp to uh, make sure that we don't put any kind of or, or curvature into the fingerboard surface. It's not just a, a mass produced thing that's just kind of bolted together. Here are some other operations on the body line. You can see him sanding the top of a Les Paul. So he has a, a big slack belt sander, and the guitar is on a table that slides back and forth under that sanding belt. And then he takes a rag, and then sometimes on flat surfaces, a, a flat block and presses it on the back side of that sanding belt and that will conform to the contour of the top. This is a Les Paul body as we receive it from our rough mill across the parking lot. So at the rough mill, we'll start out with a maple billet, split it down the center, and then book match it. So we open it up like a book after we split it and then we edge glue it you can see the top contour and it's kind of like alligators you want to check that out it has scallops you know there's a big radius cutter that's programmed to make many passes across the top and then it's going up and down to define that car this is the neck and fingerboard line so we glue the overlay onto the headstock And then you can see here it's oversized, like that. So then we have a shaper table that will trim the final shape of the peg head and then a cutter cuts the mustache, we call it, of the top of the peg head. The next then, go to this CNC machine over here. Nowadays, we have uh, a variety of CNC machines, computer numerically controlled machines, that took the place of pin routers, which were one at a time, kind of dangerous machines. Now these, uh, not only do they have greater capacity and accuracy, but they're also much safer for the employees. After that, the fingerboard is glued on the neck. But here's the part of the story I like. After the fingerboard is glued on, then it comes back to Sarge, and he has to put the final neck shape on the neck. We call that the hand rolling operation because he's rolling the back of the neck onto that sanding belt. So the story here is you let a CNC machine do what it needs to do and let people do what they need to do. So CNC machines make great parts but people make great guitars. In some departments you have to be players, in some departments you don't have to. But uh, but overall, in general, the people really do have a great deal of pride. You know, in, in the US, you know, there's not as many jobs that are manufacturing anymore. So, these people are excited that they have something to show for their work. So, uh, they, they do have a lot of pride, and, and there's a lot of camaraderie, and so that helps, you know, the quality control because when they have that camaraderie and that, the friendships and relationships that they have, that keeps them wanting to do a good job because they don't want to let the next guy down. Uh So it it works out really well. In fact, my very first guitar was a Gibson SG exclusive, yeah. So I'm excited that I've come full circle and had my first guitar and now I work here. So again, there's that pride for me. Could
0: you do any job in this entire facility? Pardon? Could you do any job in this entire facility? Yeah,
1: in fact, I'm the master luthier. I could do any job, but at the same time, I'll tell you that all these people that do their jobs will be able to do it quicker and faster than I can because they're specialists. They do it day in and day out. I can can, uh, spray a sunburst, but it might take me five minutes to spray a sunburst. It may take one of these guys 30 seconds because they do it all the time. And I've done it years before anyone here has done it. But they do it day in and day out. So when you have that repetition, uh, you know you you can't deny what that repetition brings along in terms of speed and accuracy. So yeah, I can do it. I can design a guitar from you know a computer screen or a sheet of paper, do everything, and make a complete guitar. But like I said, I'm here to tell you, all these people will do their jobs faster. Yeah, and better. You know, I mean, they just do it all the time. This is the first QC inspection point in finishing we have two in finishing one after color and one after clear top coat this way they can inspect it after the color is applied and if there are any issues it's easier to fix and repair prior to applying all the successive clear top coats
0: what are some common issues that they
1: common issues uh, at this point would be maybe uh trash you know contamination it could be airborne dust particles things like that or maybe uh, maybe handling scratches you know after they put that color coat on they may put them on a rack and then maybe some go through scraping they may have some handling issues like that but generally most of them are kind of like airborne scrap particle issues so they'll fix those get them back in line and then after that then they would go to clear top coat we'll see if we can find a sprayer to watch a sunburst
0: all
1: right here, Stan is going to show us the sunburst finish. The sunburst finish Gibson invented. That's the shading around the outside perimeter. Yeah, you, you can see with the draft in the spray booth, he doesn't have to wear a respirator and perfectly safe. particular finish is called a fade. Our, our normal sunbursts go around the entire perimeter of the body, but that this is a, a new finish, you know, it's a cherry sunburst fade and it kind of uh, fades out towards the end of the guitar or the butt end of the guitar. After that, the guitars, after they're inspected at the second quality control point, they go for top coat and the clear top coat here Again is a story of using technology and using people. So the color is applied by skilled craftsmen. The clear top coat is applied by an automated spraying system. And now you have more uniform coverage and less overspray and waste than if you are spraying it by hand. So now this is more efficient than you know people can generally do. And then you let people spray the colors and the shading and the sunburst. So generally we'll cycle this at night, we'll do all the color during the day, and then second shift, we'll then run the top coat line, and it'll send this through for four coats, and then the next morning we'll slightly scuff sand to reduce the orange peel and to abrade the finish, and then we'll send it in for four more top coats. After that, after the top coats are done, then the guitars go to the final inspection point. Once they're approved, then they dry for four to six days, and then they can go into neck prep and buffing. These are the scrapers, so what they do is scrape the finish off of the binding, which is the plastic trim on the guitar. So when we spray the guitars, let me see if I can find one. Oh, thank you. When we spray the guitars, we don't really mask over the plastic trim. We'll just go ahead and spray the guitar, and any finish on here has to be scraped off. You can't really mask it effectively to provide a clean enough line, so it just doesn't make sense to mask it. So we'll just go ahead and spray over it, you can see all that, and then we come back and we have to scrape it. It sounds simple enough, but it's highly skilled like you know many of the other uh, tasks that we have to do. So generally it takes between six and eight months for one of these ladies to learn this skill, to be able to go solo. They'll start out on scrap guitars and practice. Once once they uh, are let go, like I said, six to eight months to be able to do it. Or sometimes they don't make it. So they have scraper blades that they uh, shape and sharpen on these files. And they each have their own technique and style. So they all kind of shape them to their their style. And uh, then they hold the scraper blade between their thumb and index finger here she's doing the fingerboard she's so she's using that guide stick so when she scrapes she's not going to bounce up and down on the fret wire again it's a huge uh, hugely important detail to achieve the quality of our finish that is required for a les Paul standard you know high gloss bound you know all that les Paul standard will typically be uh, 12 to 14 days and then uh, say an SG faded with no binding on the neck or body and it's a satin finish that could be four to six days. Really? That's fast. Yeah, because you're not gluing a top together, you're not gluing a top to a back, there's no binding so that'll site and then satin finish is only two coats of satin and that dries really quick so that only has to sit for like a day or two. Whereas a high gloss finish has to sit for four to six days before you could buff it, so yeah, and there again, that's where a satin finish. Those, um, those are all different uh, types of guitars we make to achieve different price points uh, of guitars still made here in Nashville. So you put all that labor into a Les Paul Standard with the high gloss and the binding and all flame top and all that. That's why it costs how much it does. And we may have a Les Paul Studio, or a Les Paul Faded, and it won't have any binding. It'll have that satin finish. It'll still sound and feel like a Les Paul and have that sound and playability that you expect, but now we can sell it for a lower price. So now we can please our fans, you know, at different price ranges and still have a guitar made here in Nashville, uh, you know, out of mahogany and maple and all the materials that they would normally expect. These are guitars that have been uh, through color prep. So they've been wood-filled and stained. And so we elevate them on the carousel up above. And for one, that frees up floor space so we can have more work in process. And two, the drying process requires requires eight hours. So again, more floor space and heat rises. So that accelerates the drying process of the wood filler. This is the electronics department. So here we make the uh, pickups and hand-wired control assemblies for the guitars. The first pickup that Gibson came out with was called a P90. It was one big single coil pickup. And because it's a single coil pickup, it's prone to picking up hum and interference. So one of Gibson's engineers in the 50s named Seth Lover had an idea to take two coils and wire them out of phase electrically. and magnetically which put them back in phase and that eliminated the hum and that's all he was going after but the cool byproduct of that was that it created a different sound because now you have two coils sensing the string so it's a fatter smoother sound and tone and uh, that kind of revolutionized music so in addition to us all of our competitors have copies of this pickup now it's just iconic in the industry And we make hundreds of different varieties of this model, different winds, different magnets, some covered, some uncovered. So with all the different iterations, it's hundreds of different variations of the humbucking pickup. We wind the coils here. That starts out the process. So we load the bobbins up into the machine. The bobbin is the coil form of the the pickup. And they're loaded into the winder. And then uh, in the old days, we didn't have computer controlled counters. They were mechanical counters and they didn't have automate, automated stops. So now our pickups are a lot more accurate than they ever were and we have actually replicated some of the inconsistencies that we did in the old days which are our burst bucker series. So we wind the pickups, we can wind eight coils simultaneously and we use a, a variety of wire, magnet wire on the pickups a variety of gauges from 42 gauge to 45 gauge and a polyurethane coated wire and plain enamel coated wire. We use ceramic also in, with Alnico we use Alnico 2 through 5 and it's an alloy of aluminum, nickel and cobalt and it's not yet magnetized and we use the, the different grades are different strengths of that so to magnetize the pickup or the magnet You get a marker and put two hash marks on it, and that indicates north polarity. And this magnetizer is kind of like a big humbucking pickup. It's two coils of wire with an iron load, and instead of plugging it into an amplifier, you're plugging it into AC. You put the magnet in the appropriate direction, press the button, and now it's sending a couple thousand volts over the transformer, which now magnetizes the magnet a lot of folks think that it's already magnetized when you mine it but it's an alloy so you have to magnetize it after the coil wires uh, the coils have their uh, lead wires attached then we put them on a workboard like this and then we start installing all the components that go along with it so we install the magnet and the pole shoe and then the wooden spacer we then take a base plate that one of the uh, operators already installed a cable on and then that would go on the assembly and then we would screw that down after that the assembly would look like this and then we have to install the pole screws clip and solder and insulate these lead wires and then wrap the whole assembly so some of our guitars pickups have a, a pickup cover some of them are open People back in the 60s like Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page and a lot of players like that discovered if you take the cover off, it affected the sound and it was a little bit louder and brighter. So we make both pickups. Some people like the cover on, some people don't. So we make uh, varieties of uh, both. After the pickup assemblies are made, they're uh, submerged in uh, paraffin wax. Paraffin melts at 140, so we try to keep it between 140 and 160, just warm enough to do the job. If it's too hot, it could uh, melt through the insulation of the wire and short it out, or it could disfigure the plastic of the bobbin. So, the purpose of the wax is to replace any air voids uh, inside the coil itself. Even though they're tightly wrapped, they could still potentially vibrate like that, and that, that's what causes feedback that squeal. If you've heard it at concerts, you know, when they plug in, and you hear that high pitched squeal. This eliminates that. And then uh, if you have covers, sometimes there's air voids in there that will also induce that. So we soak them in the wax for about five to ten minutes until the air bubbles release. We pull them out, let them cool off, and then we polish up the pickups and remove any residual wax. All the electronics and hardware are staged in the parts cage. And then the material handlers will then get their pick list for the day and they'll populate all these bins. That's Mike and Raylan, everybody. Hello. Hey. And they, uh, they populate the bins for every unique model. You know, so there's a skew on that bin, so they put the pickups and electronics for that particular guitar and then they issue it to final assembly. Guitars enter final assembly from buffing. The first thing they do is get the fingerboards oiled which just replenishes the moisture in the fingerboard and cleans off any buffing dust Then they give them a polish. After that the guitars go to the build line and they'll they'll pre-drill any holes for tuners and jack plates and control covers, things like that. And then they, they take a parts bin that has all those unique parts and that accompanies the guitars as they go down the build line. So at the first stage they'll install tuners and then the guitars will slide down and then they'll install the electronics, you know, pickups and the control assemblies, things like that. And as they go down, you know, all the parts are then removed from the bin until it's fully built up. And after the build process, then they go to the adjusters. Steve, the adjusters then get the built guitar, install the tailpiece and the bridge, string up the guitar, and then uh, do any and all adjustments to our specs and criteria. The adjusters are an example where every one of them have to be a player because you have to be required to play guitar and you know effectively test it. That's my
0: favorite lip right there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The Gibson theme song. So once they're done with their setup process it's entirely set up to our specs and criteria. After that then they go to the cleaners. And the cleaners will then give the guitars a, a final polishing and inspection and then install any plastic items like truss rod covers and control covers, pick guards if applicable, any plastic parts like that. If there's any issues, maybe handling scratches, they may give it to a spot buffer to have it shined up. Once they're done, then they give the guitars to the final inspectors. I like to call the final inspectors the, the green berets of the operation because they're the be all end all of whether these guitars leave the building or not. They're all incredible players. They're all very senior, uh, tenured employees. So they've spent a lot of time here. Stacy's the most tenured. He has 24 years. Cody has 13, Perry Joe 20, Daniel over 10. So they've all done various functions to be able to do what they do. So they're part of the quality control team, of course. And of course, they have to be players. So they'll give it a playability test. They'll look at all aesthetics. They verify the features of the guitar and, and hardware items on their computers, you know, to verify that all the uh, specs are correct to the build. Once they approve it, they sign off on the quality inspection tag and they take a digital photo and then they print out the digital photo of the guitar. And that will accompany the guitar into the case. So that's a cool kind of like the birth certificate of the guitar. So that's, that's very neat and we also keep a digital copy of that photo. So if there would be a problem, maybe it goes to a dealer and the dealer says, oh, I think you put the wrong knobs or pit guard on, we could verify, or maybe a a consumer thinks that we put a wrong hardware item, we could say, nope, it left here fine, maybe the dealer swapped something out. So it's just nice for the consumer and it's nice for us. So it's it's, uh, good all around to ensure that we're building the quality that we do. After they approve the guitars, they then go to the packers. The packers will then lastly put the guitars in the appropriate case or gig bag. And then any uh, what we call case candy, which would be maybe straps, adjustment tools, uh, things like that are packed along in the case with the guitar. And then the cases or gig bags are then put in the carton and then that goes into the warehouse or is shipped that day. And that's the end of the line. For me, I, I'm just happy to be a part of this family. It's it's great. It's like I said, my first guitar was a Gibson SG stand, or Gibson SG exclusive. So I'm proud to be a part of that. Uh, I know most of these people by name. Uh, they're great people. They take pride in what they do, and uh, yeah, it's it's family. I, I'm just proud to be a part of it. You said you've been here about seven years? Yeah, yeah. And been doing this since 79. Uh-huh, so. So.
0: <laughs> well there you have it guys. How was your tour? Did you enjoy yourself? I did too. Thanks a lot to Jim for taking us on the tour and thanks to Gibson for inviting me out there and thanks to you for listening to the penultimate, I love that word that penultimate, the l- second to last episode of the Music Is Win podcast for this season, season two. Make sure to tune in next week and tweet me your questions at musiciswin, use hashtag musiciswinpodcast, and I will answer it on next week's season finale. Also, I'm going to be announcing a giveaway next week, so stay tuned for that. And until next time, keep shredding.